Hello, it's Paul here with another episode of the When in Spain podcast. Thank you for joining me wherever you are around the world. I hope you had a fantastic Christmas, albeit in these strange COVID times. Anyway, coming up in the hour ahead, we're going to be talking all about that magical Spanish city, Seville, Sevilla. I did wonder when we would get to Seville, actually. For those of you who are new around here, I've made a few episodes with special guests about some of the main Spanish cities and a few Spanish regions and islands as well. But today nos toca Sevilla it's Seville's turn to make an appearance on the podcast and helping me explore Seville I've got a fantastic guest joining us Aldara Arias Saavedra Aldara is a native Sevillana and she actually produces her own podcast called Slow Tasters and uh, well that's because she's a food guide and her focus is on the positive impact of tourism and we're going to be talking about that towards the end of the episode in a bit more detail we're going to be talking about sustainable tourism in Spain, sustainable tourism in Andalusia. But of course, Aldara is also going to be running us through some of the key sites of Seville, uh, some of those UNESCO heritage monuments, which are must-sees if you've never been to Seville before. She's also going to be taking us off the beaten path as well and giving us some of her recommendations for other lesser-known neighbourhoods to wander if you're on a visit to Seville. We're going to be talking about the history and the personality of this city. Of course, we're going to be talking about the city's festivals and fiestas. And one of my favourite subjects, of course, food and drink. So stay tuned for all of that coming up in the hour ahead. Before we dive into the interview with Aldara, just a quick shout out to a new When in Spain patron. I'd like to say muchas gracias to new When in Spain patron, Timothy Palmer Curl. Timothy, thank you so much for signing up to become a When in Spain patron and help support me and the work I do in putting the podcast together and bringing it to you guys, the listeners. And just on that note, if anyone else does enjoy this podcast, maybe you're new to it or maybe you've been listening for quite a long time and you've been thinking about signing up to support the show you can do that easily and securely on the crowdfunding website called patreon it's patreon.com and to find the when in spain page to sign up and make a pledge it's patreon.com forward slash when in spain and i'll put a link to the patreon page in the show notes of this episode also, if you are new to the podcast and maybe you weren't sure, When in Spain has a presence on all of the usual social media hangouts. You can find us on Instagram. The handle is at When in Spain one. Check the Instagram account out for all of my photos from around Spain and Madrid and indeed uh, photos that relate to the different podcast episodes. We also have an active When in Spain Facebook page and group as well. And you can also find When in Spain on Twitter. Okay, then let's join Aldara Arias Saavedra and take ourselves off down into that beautiful, magical Andalusian city of Seville. Aldara, thank you so much for taking the time to join the When in Spain podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Well, thank you, Paul, for having me. Now, let's talk about you first of all. Aldara, tell us a bit about yourself, because uh, you give tours. You also have 
a podcast called Slow Tasters. And am I right in saying you are a Sevillana? Are you from Seville originally? I am. I am originally from Seville, although I've uh, had this uh, compliment many times that I don't look like one. I don't know. <laughs> uh, is that a compliment? <laughs> I think it's been because a bit of the sort of cosmopolitan, even if that sounds a little bit too much, maybe a bad uh, life that I think I've had, thanks to my mom being an English teacher. So we've always had foreigners at home. We've always been visiting them abroad, traveling. We also live uh, together, just the, just the two of us. So it was very easy for her to take me around traveling around the world. So I think that that's made me a little bit you know, out of the box here in Seville. It's like, I'm not a traditional one at all. But I, see. I am 100% from here. And I've, I've actually always lived here, apart from a couple of years abroad. But yeah. I was going to compliment you on your absolutely amazing English, but if your mum is an English teacher, I guess that explains it. <laughs> and so you've worked uh, giving tours in Seville and Andalusia. I've mainly worked in Seville, but uh, I've been lucky enough to, to collaborate with different agencies that have uh, designed different tours, uh, some of them obviously in the province of Seville, all around Andalusia, mostly west of uh, of andalusia tell us about slow tasters your podcast which is really interesting i discovered it recently at the moment you i think you have four episodes you're on a bit of a break from it but you are going to continue in the future tell us what it's about i think this is the um, the need of my mixed education so to say and and way of thinking because i'm actually an unofficial guide now it's like not really my my field from the beginning because i started studying in university philosophy i have a degree in philosophy and i did also i did also interior design which has um, apparently nothing in common but it has actually helped me a lot and and then languages so this way of uh, seeing uh, the tourism always a little bit from the outside has also helped me have this perspective where I think we can and we should rethink the way we travel. I've also had the experience myself as a guide of rushing with clients, having very tight schedules, seeing how they were tired, waking up earlier than they do at home sometimes, and crazy <laughs> thing that is like, what's wrong with us? What are we doing wrong? It's like, this shouldn't be like... So it's a way of uh, making all us and myself the, the first one when, when I write each episode, rethink about how, how we do this. So it's very mm-hmm. important to, to really appreciate the time you take planning a, a trip. And then when you're there, I believe that's why the name is Slow and Tasters, that you really have to taste your travel, your trip slowly, you know, and taking time. Quality, not quantity, right? I hear a lot of this from tourists visiting Spain. I think particularly from maybe North America because it's such a long trip for them and they're only here for maybe a week or two. They try to fit so much in. It's like one day for Seville, one day for Granada, one day for Cordoba, one day for Madrid. And you just think, yeah. no, 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 yeah. no. You just, cho- just choose one or two places and enjoy yeah. it more. Yeah, and sometimes it's crazy because they spend maybe five days in Seville, but four of them are doing day trips, which they have to spend maybe two hours or three or four hours if they go all the way to Ronda in Malaga on a car. And it's like, really? (laughs) That's what you want to do? So my idea also is that not only a podcast, obviously, but my future brand company or agency, I don't know what, what we could call it, but I would love to design these itineraries that just like make sense, you know, like, well, if what do you really want to see? Well, let's make it 
all in one uh, one road trip, so to say. So you really see one thing after the other and you can relax every evening. You can enjoy the sunset wherever you're staying and, and not rushing that much. We're going to talk uh, about that in more detail a bit later in the in the podcast episode, Aldara, about slow travel and about sustainable travel as well and your kind of philosophy behind it. But before we get into that, this episode, I guess, is maybe for somebody who's never been to Seville before. Let's talk a bit about the city first of all then i mean i always i've been about four or five times to seville and it is absolutely wonderful of course (laughs) and i love the little expression what is it quien no ha visto sevilla no ha visto maravilla or something like this (laughs) bit of a cliche well we have another cliche is this when the cuando la lluvia en sevilla es una maravilla it actually is a very bad translation of the english version of my fair lady that was completely Ah. different like the rain in spain is mainly in the plain yeah. And it didn't make sense. So every time we have a, a sort of rainy day or cloudy, uh, there are clients that say that. It's like, well, yeah, but it's not really that wonderful when it rains in Seville. <laughs> Everybody wants shining sun. <laughs> That's how I imagine Seville always is uh, very hot and sunny. Just tell us a little bit of the history behind them, Sevilla. I would uh, really focus on on the personality that the city of Seville has developed through the through the centuries. And I think it comes first, obviously, because of its location. So it, it has a, a privileged uh, geographical location with a navigable river, and that made it a trading point. You know, we had a commercial port that was one of the most important in the in the West. It was like the last one together with Cadiz port in the Mediterranean. And that has made it, well, like they used to call it in the 17th century, the the Rome, no, it was like Rome. It was like, again, being the center of the world because we had all these amazing expeditions starting from here, arriving here, coming with all their products. So we are a melting pot of cultures. That's that's really what defines Seville. The important thing when a when a traveler comes here is that they open their eyes to to that differences. Because if you only see the surface, you can have this cliche image of like one, two, three typical points or typical aspects of the city and the culture that are just the surface, I think. So if you mm-hmm. have this slowly uh, trip and you can take time talking to people, you'll discover that, well, there are people from all around the world. They have been. So you can you can see also in architecture, in art, in the same urbanism of the city, how it has been expanded and they've always needed like new walls and, <laughs> and new areas. <laughs> And, and at the same time that what we have just said about the weather and that it's always sunny, well, this is a terrible place to live, actually. I mean, if you think about it, the first ones that arrived here were like, no way we're staying here in the summer. <laughs> but they had to stay because it was so great to be next to the river. And, well, we have an example just out of the city that is Italica. That was a Roman city, apart from Hispalis, that was the, the Roman uh, capital, so to say, that where we are now, where Seville is now located. But Italica was like the retired, uh, the city for retired soldiers and people from the military um. because it is a bit on a hill, so it's cooler. It's obviously not <laughs> not bad to live there. It's much better than being in the in the area where we live in, in Seville now. I think Seville is one of the hottest, if not the hottest, cities in Western Europe. Uh, obviously, in the okay. summer, it gets unbelievably hot. Probably not the best time to come and visit Seville in no. the middle of in the middle of summer because you will yeah. melt. I think people should plan their trips with that because expectations are 
one thing that we have to manage with ourselves and, and as a guide with the clients as well. And I think when when they come here in summer, they they have a hard time, really. And also yeah. because sometimes they have their agents uh, back home in the States, Australia, whatever, very far. And they plan for them without really being here. And sometimes I've had to do bike tours in August at 12 o'clock. So it's like crazy. Oof. It can be 100, 120 Fahrenheit, you know, like 40 degrees. And it's crazy. No, no, they, nobody. Who, wants nobody wants to cycle around in that heat in, at 12 yeah. o'clock in the middle of the day. Oh, my God. And no. you don't want to do it if you're paying for it. I mean, <laughs> so. Even less, even less so. Uh, if we kind of think about the vibe, the ambiente, the, the atmosphere of the city, what do you think makes it so unique? Well, I think people here love to improvise. That's what we do best. So you can see just by taking a walk around the city center that people feel or seem relaxed in a way. You know, it's like sometimes I've been with, with uh, foreigners and they're like, does anybody work here? It's like they, they don't look like they're rushing anywhere. It's like, well, they're probably coming from work, going to work, going to a meeting. But if they have 10 free minutes, they're going to stop in a bar and have a beer. Because that's that's how we live, you know, that's how we breathe in between uh, responsibilities. So I think this improvisation could be the the key. And, and it's also surprising how uh, green it is, Seville, in terms of parks and trees and the riverside. So you'll see many people also exercising, jogging. Well, nowadays with this whole situation we're living, everything feels very different, obviously, because of I'm not, course. for example, Seville used to be vibrating and, and people were in bars till 2 or 3 a.m. till they close them. But now it, you, you don't see that, but you see that people is, well, being very responsible with what they do, being careful but at the same time missing that so much because we're very yeah. sociable. We need people, we need being together and out in the street. That, that also has a historical uh, and, and social, socio-economical reason, but we hardly ever invite our people, our uh, friends uh, to our homes. That's so true. We don't invite them over because we don't have proper living rooms. We don't have really big spaces. Many people here live more in the streets and they spend more money maybe on what they spend in the bars and what they spend on their clothes and what they're wearing because it's the image you give to most of the people. I've, I, there, I have friends that were I've never been to their houses. Yeah, I find that incredible. I live in Madrid and I find that to be the case as well here. It's not so common to be invited to somebody's house for a, a lunch or a dinner yeah. or a meal or to have yeah. some drinks. It's always out in the street yeah. or in a bar. You mentioned that people like spending money on clothes. <laughs> I've heard people say that uh, Sevillanos or even in Andalusia or in general, that mm. people, when they go out, they, they really like to uh, dress up very smartly. Whereas yeah. maybe in other parts of Spain, Madrid, certainly, and in the north, people just go out in a jeans and a T-shirt and they don't really care so much. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny because my mother is not from Seville. She's from Salamanca, so nearby Madrid, ah. in Castilla. And when she first moved here, well, almost 40 years ago, she was surprised by how everybody was so dressed up, you know? So this is exactly the, the case we're, we're mentioning. And uh, it is like that. I've thought about it many times and obviously it's changing with younger generations. I think we're we're maybe not the, not that concerned and we prefer spending money in you know traveling or any other things but that yeah the many people here um, feel that they they have to show off a little bit you know mm. because since, first of all people is not going to their houses maybe because they really are well just 
very nice but humble houses or smaller or they have uh, children and they don't have space for for a proper yeah a dinner or a proper space to to welcome guests you know and and we're also a very baroque society you know so the baroque period has made it <laughs> It's going here, and and people love to to be beautiful and you know, to make the whole city a stage. And you can see that in Easter time, like that is the top, that is the the peak of, of baroque and the performance that it takes place on the streets. It's also uh, made by the people that goes to see the processions because they are part of it, and they they have to be. I, I'm amazed at how people can spend five six, ten hours on high heels walking around the cobblestone <laughs> streets and it's just because, you know, it's part of it. It's like, well, you have to suffer a little bit, but because you, you're part of this uh, performance. You look spectacular, even though your feet will be uh, in agony. Yeah, Semana Santa. I, I went to Semana Santa in Seville a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, what a spectacle. It's absolutely amazing. All the processions yeah. and the amount of people. And a lot of these processions, if I remember, happened really late, midnight or 1 a.m. And the city yeah. is just packed with people. But it's an amazing atmosphere. Yeah, actually, the, the most popular night in, in Semana Santa is Thursday night to Friday that we call La Madruga. And that's a night where, uh, apart from the processions that take place uh, on Thursday during the day and on Friday during the day, all night long, Friday, uh, Thursday to Friday, we have processions also, and they're some of the most popular ones as well. And we spend all night walking around the city to see them in different points, in different uh, spectacular you know, locations, maybe in front of the of a church that has this Baroque facade or, or that little corner with the orange trees in bloom probably. So yeah, it's amazing. Even if you don't have a, a strong faith or you don't practice Catholicism, here it's, it's way more than that is a social thing. It's like, I don't know, I, I usually compare it with maybe belonging to a football club and yes. how you feel part of something, you know? So so it's just like that, or an union, or it's the, the, the feeling that humans, uh, we all need to, to be part of something. Our identity is defined by that. And some people is, um, is well, they join the, these brotherhoods that are not only men, but nowadays also women. Uh, some parents uh, will make the, their children part of the brotherhood since they're born. So Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you basically grow up uh, with these people going to the meetings and and I have many many friends who absolutely don't believe in God or follow any any Catholic rules but they go to Easter time and they belong to brotherhoods and they do everything every single year it's a ritual Just while we're talking about uh, celebrations in, in Seville, I guess we should also mention the famous Feria de Sevilla, which is like one of the largest in Spain. Give us a flavor of that. Some people say that it's more difficult to go into the private, into the tents, into the la casetas. You have to know a family to be invited into these casetas where all of the action is, all of the dancing and the drinking yeah. and the music. Exactly, yeah. Actually, this is one of the of the moments where I feel that I'm more a foreigner than a local, even though I've been, <laughs> I was born here, because of this, that my mom is not from here, so she doesn't have a caseta. 
She doesn't belong to one. We have never one have one of our own or you know, you never have one of your own, but you always share it with more people. But we've never had one where we could invite people. So we feel kind of weird because and, and, and bad because everybody invites to invites you to their casetas and that's basically a tent where they have a, a bar, a kitchen and many tables and chairs that can be moved around the place. So if there is a big group, you put them all together, if you go with your friends. And then usually after lunch, after dinner, you take all those uh, chairs and tables away and you just uh, open the space to dance. You know, so there's sometimes a stage and the different uh, people that uh, own the caseta or rule the, the club, the little club that each tent actually is in its own, they hire sometimes uh, music groups. So you have yeah. this uh, animation going on. No, basically it's that. But the traditional thing is also to go from one to another one. So you spend all day just finding and losing friends around the place. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and phones are... And, and completely useless. It's like terrible. You never listen to a call. Nowadays that we have WhatsApp is a bit better, but by the time you've seen the WhatsApp from someone, they are in, on the other side of the area. This area where the feria takes place, it's, um, well, it's across the river nowadays. It changed its location because of the, the need of more space for more tents because the, the, everybody wants to have one and the waiting list is very long. <laughs> so they, uh, they just built this temporary city, so to say, uh, for a week. And it's very, uh, very funny because all streets in this uh, area uh, have names of bullfighters. Didn't know that. Yeah, so if you want to go somewhere, they'll probably tell you, I am in Juan Belmonte, that is one of the most famous bullfighters, number 12. You know, and you have to I find see. that. <laughs> yeah, it's complicated. I usually don't recommend people from, from abroad to, to come to the feria without knowing someone from here, unless they're okay with just going for a walk. You know, some people, for example, people who love photography, they, they have a great time because you can just go around with your camera, everybody's fine with you taking pictures of them and you can see many different uh, dresses because uh, what we have here, this is our sort of a folk tradition, you know, but because yeah. it's not exactly flamenco, we have, to, well, that could be a whole different podcast, like a whole program about it, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's popular, you know, it's from the people. So we don't have one particular dress, like in all the regions of Spain, where all women, all men dress more or less the, the same way. But uh, the flamenca dress, the Sevillana dress, the Gitana dress, that we call it too, is always different. Everybody has a different one and every day you can wear a different one. So every year you buy a new one or five new ones, depending on how big it is your budget. Yes. But, but it's, an, it's, a really, it's another show. You see, you go there and there are horses also wearing magnificent, uh, beautiful decorations in their hair and everything. And uh, you have the horse carriages and, and you have... Men are kind of boring in the feria, I have to say. Men are very... Really? <laughs> <laughs> because they, they, the only traditional dress we could uh, costume, so to say, we, we have for feria is the one that they use when they ride a horse. But if you don't have a horse, it doesn't make sense that you're wearing these clothes. So they just wear a suit. 
It is where it suits. So the guys on the horse, the kind of grey or black suit with the with the waistcoat and the hat, the sombrero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still have my grandmother's who she lived in Seville. So this is like kind of crazy. My mom's mother did live in Seville, uh, and she she was on the front page of this newspaper ABC, this famous famous newspaper, uh-huh. wearing this kind of costume, riding a horse on the feria. So you obviously have that saved and in a frame on the wall, like yeah, and when we. Have is the costume. I still have my grandma's okay. horse riding costume, <laughs> but it's so tiny. She was so tiny. We can't use it nowadays. <laughs> I'm moving on. I'm more interested, and I think a lot of people will be in the more alternative side of Seville. For anybody who's never been to the city before and is possibly planning a trip when they can in the future, can we just list a couple of key places which are must-see sites in Seville for you? If you were showing someone your city for the first time, what are we going to have a look at? Of course, slowly, not uh, rushing around the city like crazy. (laughs) Well, the first thing that everybody has to have in mind when they plan a trip to Seville is comfortable shoes because they're going to walk because Seville is very flat. It's not that big, so you really need to take taxis, uh, taxis or anything here and there. And at the same time, it's complicated to to ride a car or you know maybe a motorbike or riding a bike. But the best yeah. way is walking. So I would take a walk, <laughs> and it would be a walk. Uh, obviously, we have to say that the must sees, uh, monumentally speaking, is the UNESCO uh, heritage sites that are what we call the Golden Triangle because it's the cathedral, the royal palace, what we call Alcázar, and the India's archive, right? So they're all together in the same place, uh, the three of them. And if you don't have time, you can at least walk around the buildings because even from the outside, they're amazing. But especially the Royal Palace is very different when you go inside because of the Moorish architecture that wasn't really about showing off, but quite the opposite. (laughs) So (laughs) this is something that is also linked with religion. So what we see from the outside is just a, a wall. But once you're inside, you're amazed by the gardens, the palaces, the different areas, the patios, the courtyards. So you really have to go inside. You have to. Said, I agree because it's tempting to look at the wall and think mm, okay I don't know what's inside yeah. also I have to pay to go in maybe I won't you have to go inside it's it's a, like you yeah. said a completely different world behind those 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 walls yeah, yeah you've got to do that and the cathedral is uh, part of the cathedral is the famous Giralda yes. tower yes because the cathedral it has a a mix between the old Moorish mosque that from where the Giralda was the minaret and nowadays it's the bell tower of the cathedral. But the only part, apart from the tower, that is uh, remaining from the mosque is the courtyard where we have a lot of orange trees because it was the entrance to, to the mosque where in the in the Moorish, in Islam, in the Moorish religion, when you go inside to, and before you pray, you have to wash your hands, wash your feet, take off your shoes and everything, and also relax and get into the spiritual mode, so to say, um, that was done in the courtyard. And nowadays it's funny, but that's, this, that's the exit of the tourist visit. Because is it what, really? Yeah, because the relaxation is needed after visiting the cathedral. <laughs> it's like, oh, take our time here. <laughs> But yeah, it, yeah uh, that used to be also a public square from the city. And if we mention it later, that's another thing that 
the tourism has uh, done to our to our city. I remember living really nearby when I was little and going there just to play, you know. So I have some pictures probably taken by some Chinese or Japanese tourists back then, just playing around the orange trees and, and shaking them so the azar, the white flowers from the orange trees would fall down because that oh, was beautiful. great. <laughs> and they were all taking pictures, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was... It's like that, but the cathedral is really worth it. It's our most important museum, I would say. So it's it's a fine arts museum in itself. So for anyone who appreciates art, uh, they, they definitely have to go. And if possible, go with a guide, because otherwise it's a building that is not so easy to understand. You could just visit it on your own, go out and say, well, a big Gothic cathedral, you know. And it's a beauty because there's so, so many details and interesting parts of Seville's history that have uh, changed that building and are still represented there. So you can you can talk about it if you have a guide. Yeah. One of my favorite things to do in Seville is just to walk along the side of the Guadalquivir River, mm-hmm. looking across to Triana. You have the Torre de Oro, the little yes. Tower of Gold, which yeah. I think is when... They brought the gold from South America. It's where they, is that where they kept the gold inside that tower? Am I right? Oh, thank you for asking me that because no, it's not. That's <laughs> true. Okay. No. <laughs> the name of the Golden Tower is because it was covered with a mix of uh, plaster and sand that made it look shining gold when the sun hits it. See. Oh, I'm glad. Thank you for sharing that because I've heard various stories and people say, no, when the boats came up the up the river coming back from South America full with gold, they used to keep the gold inside that little tower to keep it safe. But that's that's a myth. That's not a very safe place to keep the gold because it was right on the riverside. <laughs> right, of, it's true. It doesn't really make sense. No, no. We, we always have to take these sentences and these ideas. It's like, mm, is that a legend? Let's let's see if that makes sense. You know. So <laughs> even for me as a guide, sometimes I've been saying the same thing for you know several tours, and then I stop and say, is this really true? Or we're just saying it over and over again. You know. So you have to go and and go deep depth and and usually books because internet is not enough for some things yeah, and you yeah, find totally. the right answers yeah, yeah. but it's true um, the power of gold is the walking around it and along the riverside it's interesting to to go back in time and imagine how it is when that was a commercial port all crowded with boats with huge galleons that yeah they came from america and from uh, what we used to call the indias you know that's why seville was the port of the indias and that's why we have an indias archive that's the third unesco heritage building where they kept they still keep all the documents belonging to this uh, trading activity they even have documents signed by columbus and and all these important uh, expeditions that, that started or or took place around seville because seville was for a while the center of all this commercial activity and there's also the uh, famous and huge a bit more modern uh, what was it constructed in 1929 i think for a, yes. a world exhibition Exactly. It was for what we call the Ibero-American exhibition. So it was uh, one of these world's fairs that took place around the world, usually to show the the new uh, technology you had, you know, like the one in Paris or in London. So it was like, oh, look at that. We've just invented this. Like now these mobile fairs and all these things. But (laughs) Seville was really, really stuck back in time. So after we stopped being the center of this commercial activity, the city went down really, really low. So 
at the beginning of the 20th century, we were not ahead of time to have such a such a world's fair. So what we did was focusing on our culture, on our heritage, right? On on these different influences that uh, along the, the history we've had in the city. And the style, the architectural style that uh, Plaza España is built on, just like many other houses, buildings and pavilions from this expo, uh, is what we call Andalusian regionalism that was created by a, an architect that was Aníbal González. And he did this uh, mix of three different styles, so mainly Renaissance, Baroque, and especially what really cuts, uh, gets your eye when you're, when you're seeing this, that is the Moorish influence. But not yeah. just the Moorish from when this was an Islamic city, but also what happened uh, uh, from the 13th century on, that it was what we call Mudejar. Mudejar is this mix of uh, Moorish style, but already built by Catholics. The fun thing about that square... Is Star Wars? <laughs> ah, that's true. Star Wars. There was some Star Wars scenes filmed in the square. No, I wasn't going to say that. I oh, forgot no. about that. <laughs> sorry, it's sorry, true, sorry. yes. It's a filming location of Star Wars. No, but what I love about the square is you walk around, it's kind of like a semi-circular shape with this kind of little, um, well, I suppose in English we call it a moat with the little bridges yeah. going over it. So there's people in boats inside the moat that goes around it. But no, you have all of the provinces, all of the 50 provinces of Spain uh, depicted using like Abulejo tiles. It's quite funny when you see tourists there that are from Spain, they go and find their province and, and they stand next to it and have their photo taken next to their province and they're very proud. Um, <laughs> but I went there a couple of years ago with some friends um, and we had a little competition. We walked around all of the provinces and we, we ticked to say, how many have you been to? We had like a kind of a bet to see who had visited the most provinces in Spain. So it's quite a good way to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great because I think it, this uh, building was so smartly planned that it still nowadays works as a tourism office, so to say. It's like a tourism yeah. office, you know. It was actually planned sort of like that. First of all, the, the semicircular shape uh, and the fact that it's uh, oriented and facing towards the river area is because it wants to represent just like the Vatican City that has also this uh, circular shape, the, the, the square in, in St. Peter's. Uh, yeah. it's, an, it's a hug, it's embracing uh, everybody who arrived through the river and also the colonies that Spain used to have uh, beyond the, the ocean, you know, so that's why it has this, uh, this shape and that's why we have this little moat or, or canal uh, where you can uh, row uh, boats. I've never done that, actually. No, me neither. No, me neither. <laughs> and and it's, it's kind of way weird because you can't go all the way around you have to go back and forth because it's not completely connected <laughs> exactly it's just a semi-circular canal it's kind of strange yeah, but it's very yeah. pretty it's very beautiful and yeah. it's very impressive I and mean, it's huge yeah the first time you see it and you kind of walk around that corner into the into the square and you're like wow it's uh it blows you away yes and to think that all that the whole materials and of of course all the tiles uh, that you were saying that are representing different images and and important moments of the history of the different provinces of Spain. Everything was produced in Seville. Ah, uh, really? Yes. So we had really important factories back then, and it was like the last uh, golden age of uh, ceramic making in Triana, that is across the river, that used to be just considered the slums of the city, really, but nowadays it's a very important area, obviously, and it's been for a long time as an industrial area. 
and all the ceramic and all the uh, the bricks that they used in the, in the construction of this building and other ones were made there. We're talking Seville with Aldara Arias Saavedra. Coming up, we get off the beaten track with some alternative Seville locations. We'll be exploring food and drink, of course, and Aldara shares her passion for sustainable tourism and talks about how we can reduce our impact on the places that we visit. You're listening to When in Spain. So those are kind of like the touristic sites, I suppose, that everyone needs to see at least once when they visit Seville. Can you give us some insights into let's say, scratching beneath the surface a bit more and an alternative take, an alternative version mm -hmm. um, for Seville? Where would you recommend? Where would you take us? Forgetting all of the normal big name sites. Yes. Well, whether you take a, a map or, or even better, if you go into Google Maps and when you look at Seville from above, you know, you have to, to think that we're obviously how it's oriented in Google Maps is the north, it's on, on top and the south and the, on the back, on the below part. Well, the south is usually the touristy area. You know, so the southern half of the city, of the center of the city, that is very big because it used to be the whole city of Seville once and now it's just considered the city center. The, no, the southern half is the touristy area where the moment you go to the northern half, that means you're in an alternative, so to say, area of the city. It's, the, it's not that alternative. It's just an area that has less monumental sites and way more residential areas. Yeah. So people have a little bit more of a normal life, if we could say so, around there, you know. So it's where you can find, yeah, well, children coming out of school, uh, go people going to work, jazz cafes where you can see. So walking around the neighborhoods that we could uh, call, well, Feria Street, that is a very important long street that connects this city center or the, the middle of the city center to, to the north of it. Uh, San Luis Street as well for artisan workshops, for little shops, uh, for also very amazing and impressive churches such as San Luis de los Franceses. So it, it doesn't mean that the northern half is empty of monuments, but they're not just the most visited ones. And obviously mm -hmm. taking a walk and maybe uh, having a coffee or a drink in the Alameda Square, which has changed a lot throughout the years and, and the centuries and it's not what it used to be and we are all a bit nostalgic about it because of the last renovations but but still it's a very lively area and and nice to to be around there anytime during the day even at night is fantastic yeah so that way to the Macarena right so you make your way through all these areas and you get to the Macarena walls that are the last piece of the city walls remaining so there you can really have an idea of how Seville used to be when it was a walled city in the in the Middle Age and later. Yeah, Although absolutely. nowadays it's a bit gentrified, right? That's a that's a something that we can deny. So yeah. even my, even now I feel a little bit guilty about uh, suggesting these because it's like oof, I don't know if we really need you know the same that has happened in the in this southern area where all the cathedral, Royal Palace, and everything is. We, we don't want that in the north because 
something that I feel it's important to say that is now with the with the pandemic, we've seen that the the area around the main monuments is dead. It's empty. Yeah. Same. Seeing bars are closing because it's it looks just like made for tourists. Nobody goes there anymore. It's a bit like a theme park, which has been closed. And yes. just, you've got all of the attractions, but there are no people there. I mean, I've got to say, it's. Uh, I think this is situation is being replicated in lots of big cities across Spain. This is the same in Madrid. Yes. Um, and I've seen a lot of people talking about, they've heard a lot of people talking about this. You go to the centre of Madrid and it's a bit like a ghost town. And a lot of the businesses are closed because really they're just for yeah. tourists yeah. or, you know, students who come here for you know short term. Yeah, and there are no, almost, almost no locals living around there because the rents are impossible to pay because people around there, they just want speculation and, and business owners just want apartments or, or hotels and there's no way you could rent a house there. My dad used to live there when he was young. I could never dream of living there. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's impossible. So that's a pity. I think we don't want that in the rest of the of the city. That's why we sometimes as guides uh, struggle with recommendations because it's like, we, do we really want to ruin ruin that area? You know, it, it's terrible because we we just want make people to know everything about Seville, but at the same time, that's why it's so important. This uh, philosophy on thinking before you travel is like, what's the impact that your visit is going to cause in that area? You, you can go whatever you want in Seville. Every, uh, all the areas are uh, around the center and, and outside of the old walls and everything are completely safe and nice. They're more or less interesting, depending on whether they're just residential areas or not. But just, you know, you can go anywhere, but you can't go anywhere doing whatever you want or asking for things that are made for tourists. You have to open your mind and let yourself go into the local life and, you know, just smile at people if you don't speak the language and speak with them if you can. And that's it. You can go anywhere. <laughs> I want to talk in a minute about sustainable tourism and uh, your kind of philosophy behind it, this travel slow as well. Just before we talk about that, though, one thing I always enjoy uh, talking about a lot is food and drink. Um, For anyone coming to Seville, a couple of recommendations for like something that's very traditional from Seville to eat or drink and maybe where they could find these delicious things. I would say that food and drink is very important in Seville. I've worked as a food tour guide for the last uh, five years. So it's been like my thing to take people out to drink and, and to eat and, and have fun because that's always a fantastic time. I realized that it was much better to to talk to them and tell them about the history of Seville around a table full of little tapas and, and wine. So it's <laughs> been working great. <laughs> and I think uh, we have to... Um, uh, one thing that I found a lot with with this with clients is that they want to have the traditional, but they don't want to do it the traditional way because what we do is not that comfortable. The traditional way of doing tapas is standing most of the time. So you get into a bar or what we call a taberna that could be similar to a tavern and you ask for your wine and luckily enough, you can put your elbow on the bar. That's it. <laughs> you know, So, you know, that from Madrid probably is the same. You know? Absolutely. But yeah. Those are the most amazing places and the most traditional ones where you can find maybe just five, six things to eat, but they're made there. They're really home cooking. So... 
I would say they go to these kind of taverns. And obviously, we also have a really nice, more contemporary restaurant. So you can, there, there's time for everything. You know, you can just have a, a drink or two drinks in bars like these while you're visiting other monuments and then make a reservation for a nice restaurant at night. You know, so we have a really nice food scene. I think it's uh, changing and, and it's a... Uh, bettering a lot in the in these last years one place i really really love that i would always <laughs> take anyone who comes but it's not easy again because there have some tables but they're tight and the and the place is crowded with a lot of uh, things hanging everywhere because we have to think that these bars used to be grocery stores that's one of the possible origins of the tapa you know that uh, yeah yeah, they were only serving what they were selling there. What they were selling in the shop. Sample, yeah. Nowadays, they also have uh, kitchens and they cook warm food, but yeah. not all of them used to do that before because they were not allowed. So, so where would you where would you suggest? It's Abateria San Lorenzo. I really uh -huh. like that place. It's in San Lorenzo area. Uh, that's a very famous square in the northern half. It's also nearby where I live now. But they have really good food, really good products, amazing wines. And you can find there a mix of people because obviously foreigners find everything like they should, right? Travelers that just dig and dig in the internet and go here and there and look at the guides and everything. So you can find some foreigners that are like, where am I? What's going on here? <laughs> you know? But also a lot of locals from different um, social groups, so to say. You know, you can find really these men from businesses that just came out of their offices, all we were in their suits, but finally having this relaxed time with their friends or colleagues. You can find a family celebrating. You can find some friends that just popped in and, and ha are having a drink, improvising. So it's small, but it's very authentic, I say, I would say, yeah. Yeah, it sounds great. And I love those kind of places, uh, yeah. the lively, crowded, lots of noise and uh, lots of people. <laughs> and they also take it very seriously to change the decoration every season. So if you can, you should ask them, like, what is it they're representing? Because maybe it's a saint's day that they're uh, putting an altar dedicated to, obviously in Easter, they, they do an amazing uh, show there they decorate the whole house uh, but also during the feria and then Christmas and so so it's really cool to go there several times and see what it was changing and also because they use seasonal products so not the whole menu is fixed so they change many things and sometimes if you uh, ask for a reservation or you can sit on a table you're sitting in the kitchen literally and you're seeing the people amazing you. <laughs> next to you yeah so you're seeing what you're going to eat while they prepare yeah. it. Amazing. And what would you order? What would be a, a recommendation for something to try in Seville? Well, we have to take, in, take into consideration that we eat a lot of pork because since the Inquisition was set in Seville first, this is a theory that's uh, obviously people can think differently but we believe that um, uh, that's why we eat so much pork because the inquisition wanted to know exactly who was a uh, jew or moorish or muslim and who was catholic wow. so they would make a like public slaughtering of the pork and they would make pork festivals and things like that to make you eat pork in public to prove that you were a good catholic que fuerte, no? yeah. wow so, i didn't know that it's it's a little bit you know, not 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 really obvious, so to say, because it's ha it happened really uh, centuries ago. But but if you look closely, you will see that the only things, the only products that are 
maybe hanging on the on the walls of a restaurant or a bar or a shop are hams, sausages, chorizo, all these things that come from pork, right? And yeah, if you look yeah. at a menu in a bar, you hardly ever find chicken, beef, I don't know, uh, lamb, you know? So it's true that we don't have a lot of cattle in the South, so it makes sense that we don't have much beef in our menus, but not anymore. I mean, obviously there are amazing places that have beef because they, they import it or even from around here. But pork is the main thing. So I would say it's difficult for vegetarians to, to come to Seville, to eat in Seville. Not impossible, not at all, because I've even uh, guided some vegan people around and we have options. But sometimes in the more traditional places, it can t it can be a bit boring because the only vegetarian options could be a potato omelette or a salad. And if you're lucky enough that they don't put any tuna or anything in it, so, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's a little bit like in the rest of Spain, maybe. But but yeah. mainly pork. And I would always recommend to go for a bringa or a different montadito. That is this little uh, sandwich, like a little toasted piece of bread that have thousand different fillings. And one of the most traditional ones is pringa. That is all these nicely cooked meats uh, that you put in a, in a soup, in a cocido or puchero, like we call it also down here. And, and once they've been, you know, they're cooked for hours and hours, you take them out of the, of the soup. And since they're maybe a piece of lard, a piece of chicken, a piece of ham, you cut them in, in little pieces and make it like a little pate or spread, so to say, and put it on, on bread. That one, when it's warm, just ride a toasted, even maybe in front of you. That's wow. It. <laughs> sounds that sounds delicious with a glass of sherry please <laughs> Let's talk about slow travel and sustainable tourism. You have said that you believe there is no such thing as sustainable tourism. Why do you think that? That could be, that can sound really harsh, you know, it's like, wait a minute. So there's no option for anybody to, to travel and have a quiet conscience. What I mean with this sentence is that there is no sustainable travel is if we keep traveling like we're doing now. The way we consume other products and other goods we have to think twice, do we really need this? Can I do it better? Can I do it maybe once instead of three times a year, but better again with more time? What we were saying before, because especially North American people have really short holidays, you know? So, well, yes. take all the days you have, go to one place, but spend your time in a nicely way instead of rushing four days here, four days in another country. There's a kind of philosophy behind travel slow. I was looking on your website, there are numerous sort of uh, modern day philosophers have talked about this, which you've kind of have some quotes from them. Um, give us some yeah. examples then. Where does this idea come from? I discovered these philosophers like Serge Latouche or Edgar Morin. They're French, these two philosophers, and most of the ones that speak about these uh, theories, but not, not only them, obviously. It's, um, I discovered them in university, in my last year of philosophy, because they talk about uh, degrowth, Serge Latouche, and Edgar Morin talks about complex thought. And I think they're linked. Because when we use a complex thought, the only thing that makes sense is degrowth. You know, when we really want to have a planetary ethic, like, uh, like Edgar Morin says, we really realize what I just said, that we're many people in the world and that what we do has impacts in impacting everybody else. And at the same time, we cannot create this 
uh, anxious feeling of everybody has to go to every single country in the world because otherwise you don't have an identity, you're no one, you don't have your greeting Instagram full of pictures of with every single uh, UNESCO heritage. You know? So it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> so these uh, philosophers have uh, helped me really giving a, a corpus or, a, or an order to all these thoughts that I had and and with the whole uh, uh, climate change and and planetary emergency that we're living uh, mm -hmm. environmentally speaking I think it's just obvious you just have to analyze one day of your life and think about how many liters of water carbon footprint your water footprint is and when you travel that goes all the way to the ceiling <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> yeah the obvious question i guess is what can people do in your opinion to reduce their impact on places they visit i mean let's take seville as an example or andalusia if you like Well, here I have to to admit that I'm I'm just following my intuition more than a than a really complex uh, theory because every city has its own life and vibe, like we were saying, and and is different. But some tips that I that I like uh, giving people is first of all we have to spread around the place. We cannot concentrate like we were saying in the same area. Like yeah, everybody would love to be in a hotel where they open their window and see the cathedral, right? But we can't do all. <laughs> we can't do that all of us because otherwise the whole area around happens to be just what we were saying before a theme park only with hotels. So try to to enjoy different areas of the city uh, explore it go around with uh, with your gps and just try to get lost and then find yourself again but but spread around avoid crowds try to plan your trip in seasons where they're not so popular maybe in that place and uh, find local events you know cultural events support mm -hmm. them go mm -hmm. to their local theaters local concerts whatever they're doing so look at the local uh, agenda so to say so that the the events that are taking place there because that way also uh, travel agencies and other companies that work in tourism they will not create touristy attractions if they know they're going to these events it's like you don't have a client to amuse you know and and it's not important to create these fake shows and these uh, fake recreations of things that are happening off season and that doesn't make sense well i always think kind of do what the locals are. don't follow the pack of tourists yes um, and you're absolutely right i mean it is a problem isn't it because you know everybody wants to see the famous sites and mm. i suppose there are very specific times of year when people go on holiday Yeah. But then, you know, how many times that I have been to somewhere in Spain and it's really kind of spoiled the enjoyment of the place because it's just so busy and you can't move and there are queues of people. And in the end, it just makes you feel really stressed and yes. you get the impression from other people as well that they're just there to take a photo, tick the list to say, yep, I've seen I've seen the Geralda, I've seen this place. And now it's what's next? The next thing so that <laughs> I can just say I've been there. I mean, I'm guilty of that for sure in the past, but I we, think, all, are. Um, we all are. Everybody <laughs> is guilty of doing that. Not necessarily the most enjoyable way to, to savor mm. a place and, it, yeah. and its culture. You also mentioned putting more emphasis, more focus on rural tourism and less on cities. Yes. Well, one thing you can do, obviously, before you plan your trip, and, and I think not many people do it maybe because of a lack of time or, or access to or language or something, but, but really for English speakers, it's really easy. Contact with the local guide. 
you know, not because I'm a guy, but any any guy. Contact <laughs> with someone, maybe not a guy, but someone that has, uh, I don't know, a cafe or whatever. But go through internet, look for people who offer experiences or are just uh, offering their, their, you know, a chat with them in, in English and, and talk to them first, you know, get to know a little bit with this, uh, we're, like we're doing just a call or a Skype and and take your time to to break all the cliches you had and say oh okay so seville in april or seville in october or you know think about it twice and and if you can also for the financial and economical impact in the city look for local uh, companies right instead of big franchises try to try to leave the the wealth the much most of the wealth or the money you're going to spend in local businesses because if you want that city especially once you've been there and you liked it you want it to to be a good place and people to be happy there and to work properly you know and and tourism can create a lot of unstable jobs uh really not well paid ones so we have to be careful with that and that also applies for rural areas if we only uh, go and visit the capital cities Everybody who lives in small towns and villages around would move here because it's the only place where you can work. And Spain in general is really focused on tourism as, a, as its main industry. And that now has been has uh, proven to be a mistake because if you don't have other kind of industry, once people can't come here, you don't have any income. So if we go to rural areas, if we support people, uh, for example, producers, food producers, the ones that make the cheese, the wine, the meat, anything like that. If we go there and visit them, we will both learn about their products and the process, be much more aware of what we're eating, really go for more quality, maybe not uh, more expensive, but really know what to look for when we go and do our shopping back home. And at the same time, we're supporting their activity and we're letting young people to stay where they were born and where their families are because there is a future there. Talking more practically about that idea of focusing more on rural tourism, is there anywhere specific that you would suggest for like easy trips from Seville? Yes, it would depend on their preferences. Obviously, if they're more about mm, monumental towns or architecture, or if they're more into nature, or if they're more into food producing, such as wine, because uh, if you look at the province of Seville, we have a little bit of everything going north uh, mm-hmm. to south, west to east. But the north, I would say, is a really beautiful and, and different area. So the moment you, you drive like half an hour outside of Seville going north, the whole landscape changes. It gets much more greener. We have a lot of oak trees. We have hills. Uh, you can find some uh, of these amazing Iberian peaks around. Yeah. So um, it's uh, it's really beautiful to spend some time in these towns like Cazalla, Constantina. So these places that have been uh, in other centuries very famous because they were popular for for travelers when we used to travel slowly and we had to maybe go even you know by by horse carriage. And, then, and they have to stop in all these uh, towns. So you can find really beautiful uh, buildings, churches, landscapes around there. Then if you go, uh, for example, from Seville to Cordoba, you will go through some of uh, also very important uh, towns. We have to think that when Seville was the capital, when Cordoba was the capital, in Andalus, when Granada was the capital, all the, the towns in between were really wealthy because the whole trading activity, the commercial activity. So 
it's really, really worth it to go and, and see uh, how they are now because some of them are really beautiful, big towns. They're not just like tiny villages, which we also mm -hmm. have, but, but very interesting, historically speaking. We could have a better train connection, that's true. We don't have mm -hmm. enough, I think, for a sustainable travel. What you really need is a good uh, railway network. And, and Seville has, uh, sorry, Spain has dismantled it in the, in the last decade. So we lack of a connection maybe between some of these towns, but some of the some of them do have it. And for example, you could go to Cordoba and take the fast train, the same one that takes you to Madrid, or take a normal one and stop by in all these towns you know the slow train is more interesting you get to see these little places even just even if you don't get off the train you just stop at the, the mm -hmm. local train station of a small town or a little village or something it's just yeah. a different experience to like rushing past everything i mean don't get me wrong the abbey is incredible and it's uh, a great service it's um, very functional and it's yeah. great to have that service because the abbey is substituting people or, or giving people the option to substitute the the plane for a train which is already sustainable so it's great and it, but I think it should maybe be mostly used for for business for work trips and for when you have you know you when you're rushing for any personal thing. But when you're traveling, there's no need. I mean, I I went once to Barcelona with the slow train. It took me 11 hours, and it's one of the <laughs> best experiences I've had traveling in Spain. You know, I discovered many towns in the East Coast that I had no idea they existed people hopping on and off the train, people selling things, and it's like, what am I? <laughs> I mean, this is crazy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the trip starts there. You know, we, we don't have the feeling now that we, we travel so fast. We don't have the feeling of distances. When you take a train compared to when you fly somewhere, you're actually realizing how far you're going and how the landscape changes uh, through, the, through the trip. And you really get prepared, you know, it's like a good introduction before you actually arrive to the city, you hop yeah. off the train and you're like, ah, oh, I'm really far from home. High speed trains, high speed travel, it really kind of messes with your perception of yeah. of distance and the kind of uh, the, the, the size. I mean, Spain is a huge country, really, uh, by European standards. And you kind of you kind of don't get that sense when you're flying or on an AVE train. It's better to travel than arrive. And arriving, you're like, oh great, now I've got a, now I've got all the stress because I've got to <laughs> organise myself and find out where I'm going. And for yeah. me, there's nothing better than just, especially on a slow train journey, just looking out the window, watching the world go by, seeing the landscapes change, yeah. just getting lost in your thoughts, kind of zoning out. It's just yeah. wonderful, and we don't get much opportunity in our modern day-to-day -day lives to do that, really, do we? Yeah, I think it's important also because you have time for something so basic such as reading the, the travel guide of the place where you're going, you know, so you have time to get that book and get into it and start reading about the culture of the place and, and maybe saying, oh, I didn't know this. Oh, okay, great. So you take your notes and you plan it and then you think about do I really want to go here? Do I? Because otherwise, if you get there, suddenly it's like just a lot of advertising. It's like you have to do this and this and this and this and this, and you're so confused. You're like, <laughs> like whatever, yeah, yeah, everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> do you think that Seville, Andalusia, Spain is managing tourism well at the moment? Do you think it's changed? What should be done now to make tourism more sustainable in general? Well, I think that's obviously a, a political question and a political matter. And we we don't all, we don't only have to see it from a local 
point of view, but uh, since we're all connected and what we were saying before about the, the complex thought and, and this globalization we live in and the connection we have, we have to look it into an European perspective, right? So since Spain as a country entered the European Union and the, and the whole economical system we have now, we have been designed to be the holiday country for other countries. So in a way, it's like Spain has good weather, it has nice long beaches, it has amazing monuments because of its culture and everything. I don't say that's wrong. I mean, that's amazing. But why don't we have any other industries? We used to have amazing glass, fabric, uh, steel, all, all kinds of industry in Spain, but they have yeah. been slowly dismantled. So it's not really about changing tourism that much, but about focusing on other things as well, you know, because that also uh, maintains people in cities, which would also help the touristic experience of traveling to that place and yeah. would enrich also the country with foreign people coming mm -hmm. to work. So it would lately or, or it would at some point help the image of Spain abroad if uh, people leave here and then go back or they have friends and they invite them. That could be a thing. So being a welcoming country, not only for people to travel, but for, for people to leave like you're doing. <laughs> Diversification of the economy. Yeah, I've, I've talked about this a lot recently, actually, with the various guests in the podcast. It's a really interesting subject and it will be interesting now, especially since COVID, whether this is going to be an opportunity for Spain or the government to yeah. kind of reassess mm -hmm. the future of the economy and to reassess yes. uh, the importance of tourism compared with other opportunities uh, yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, it has to be uh, decided and discussed in a in a European level because otherwise, locally, you have to either be like a very brave administration and go against the current, you know, against all sure. market uh, <laughs> desires or you, you lost, you lost the, the battle because we can see now in Seville that we have this theme park that we're saying in the city center in the area of Santa Cruz, the old Jewish quarter and everything, but they're still building hotels. There are no tourists right now. You know, it's empty, but there are at least five, five stars hotels being built at the at moment, the moment. at the moment. They, they didn't stop for a day. Really, what are we doing? We just want to go back to normal. Normal wasn't good. At the beginning of this pandemic, with the whole first uh, confinement and everything, all guys, we were discussing and saying, this is crazy. We know this is not good. We know this is very, uh, I mean, it's very hard for society. But in one way, we needed it. We needed to stop. We needed to stop to, to take our time to think about it. But on the same uh, hand, I know that since it's been so hard for the economy, it's very tempting to just activate it again, just like it was, you know. Seville was going up, up, up in numbers of tourists since also Lonely Planets chose it as uh, the world's travel destination and everything. Those things are good in a way, but if you don't manage them in a proper way and taking care of citizens first, and if you put tourists first, you lose the, the reality and the, and, and the community. You have to take care of community first.
if people would like to find out more about you, get in touch with you, uh, find your podcast, or if in the future, uh, when it's possible, they would like to have a tour with you, even better. I would like to. I would love to have a tour with you next time I'm in Seville. Oh, I'm, giving, I'm giving you a, a call. But how can they get in touch with you? Since these uh, times are, are a bit crazy, I don't know exactly where where am I going to be in the next months, where I'm going to do, when is this going to end? But definitely, uh, they can connect with me through my website that is a very basic contact page and two or three informations but is aldaras.com that's what I have at the moment and also I'm very open to any messages through Instagram for example so they can find me under aldaras or through also slow tasters Instagram that is the Instagram linked with the podcast that they can find on iTunes, iVoox, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And I promise that in the next months, there will be also a Slow Tasters website, which is already uh, bought as a domain and it's going to be done in a few months. Hopefully, oh, I can welcome all, the, all your guests here. But first, yourself. I will put links to all of the places you mentioned, your website, the podcast and your social media. I will put links to those in the show notes of the episode. Aldara, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks a lot, Paul, for the opportunity. It's also really nice to have the chance to to talk about this and, and see that this will have an end and we will go back to traveling, but hopefully in a better way. To all your listeners, I hope they're well. I hope they take care of themselves and, the, and their families. And well, just take this, uh, this time to, to think about what we want for the future because we're the only ones that are capable of changing it. Okay, so that was Seville and Aldara. Big thank you to you, Aldara. And if you'd like to find out more about her, you can find her website, which is aldaras.com. It's A-L-D-A-R-A-A-S.com. You can also find it on Instagram and her handle is at aldaras. It's A-L-D-A-R-A-A-S. And you can also find her podcast, which is called Slow Tasters Podcast, on all of the usual podcast platforms. Wherever you listen to this podcast, you can find Aldara's podcast, Slow Tasters, right there as well. I'll also put links in the show notes of this episode to all of Aldara's social media. And I'll also drop in the show notes links to the various places that we talked about in this episode. So that will do it for this week. Thank you for joining me, as always. Um, I guess we're coming up to New Year now. So, uh, well, I'll wish you uh, an early Feliz Año Nuevo. Happy New Year. Let's hope that 2021 is somewhat better than uh, 2020 has been for us and that uh, we can maybe do a bit more traveling than we could this year. And I really hope that uh, many of you guys, the listeners who had plans to come and visit Spain in 2020, well, I really hope that you get the opportunity to do that in 2021. Uh, don't forget, if you do enjoy the podcast, please do consider supporting the show. You can do that at patreon.com 
forward slash when in Spain. And well, I'll be back in the new year, of course, with plenty of brand new episodes of the When in Spain podcast, many of them already in the final stages of editing and plenty of uh, new interviewees lined up as well for 2021. So stay tuned. Have a happy new year. Stay well and stay safe wherever you listen from. And until the next episode, I shall bid you hasta luego. Thank you.